Hey, how you doing everyone? It's Graham Taylor here at Hudson Rose. Hope everyone's doing okay and well. It's been a bit of a while since we last recorded a podcast, um, mainly due to a lot of things getting in the way. So hold my hands up fully here. Um, there's no real excuse. There's been a bit of a bug going around. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, coronavirus is here and we're in the thick of it. Um, so that's taken up a lot of time. A lot of everybody else's time as well, uh, are helping our clients navigate through uh, what are tricky times in the mortgage market at the moment, but hopefully only temporary as these things uh, come to pass. So what we can do during this period is still upskill our knowledge on the mortgage market and the mortgage process. This episode follows on from last time. Last time was mortgage affordability. Can't say it. I'm always rubbish at speaking on these. Mortgage affordability, part one. This is mortgage affordability, part two. And what I want to do here is just touch on some of the different types of income uh, that are used in affordability and explain how not all income is created equal, which sounds a bit strange and a bit daft, but this is how lenders work. So we'll have a little chat about that. As ever, if you want to get in touch, um, you can get in touch with me at hello at hudson-rose.co.uk or on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash HUD, that's H-U-D, Rose. Other than that, hope you guys are well and staying safe. And enjoy this, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. So where to start when dealing with mortgage affordability part two? This episode is going to focus on employed income predominantly, because I think self-employed income is a vast subject, and we'll cover that in future episodes in, in the detail that it deserves, really. What I wanted to do here was just give you a bit of an insight into how lenders treat different forms of employed income. Because as I said in the intro, um, not all income is created equally, which is a bit silly, because if you're earning a pound from one place, a pound from one place is as good as a pound from another, you'd have thought. Um, but there are some reasons behind uh, the fact that lenders do view income differently. And that's what we're going to touch on today. Now, a question we get asked quite a lot is what income is the lender looking at? Is it the income before tax, known as the gross income? Or is it the income after tax, known as the net income? after tax and other deductions as well, because lots of things come out of your gross pay. Now, for the most part, it's the gross figure. So it's the figure that you're quoted um, before tax and national insurance and all those things come off. So when you apply for a job and it says it's going to pay you £25,000 a year, that's obviously always the gross figure. And that's the figure that lenders will use for their affordability calculations. That's their starting point anyway. It is true to say that they do look at the net figure as well. And some lenders will ask you to actually input both uh, both numbers into the calculator and they'll use both numbers just to take account of any things like any large pension payments because sometimes they can be taken off as deductions sometimes they can't um, but also if you're paying into things like a, um, you know, a car scheme or you've got different tax codes so that's why they often want the net income but for the purpose of this podcast and for the purpose of the information that we want to get to you today we're going to be talking about gross income figures so let's start at the top if you have a basic salary if you're earning a thousand pounds a month this £1,000 a month is always going to be taken at 100% by a lender. So into their uh, calculator where it says basic income, they're going to put the full £1,000. They don't take a percentage of it. They say, no, it's guaranteed. It's in your contract. We're going to take all of it, £1,000. So if you have a, a basic salary only, then your affordability calculation in terms of what you have to put in to the calculator 
is pretty straightforward because it's just that one figure. However, life isn't really that straightforward, is it? And I think we all tend to have different bits coming in and income. Sometimes uh, it'll be um, bonuses, commissions, car allowances. So we'll cover those off now. So allowances are a common one. Car allowances, for example, many people have roles whereby they get paid a set amount, a few hundred pounds, whatever it might be, per month for their car, to run their car, to do their job. Car allowances are, again, normally they're contractual. It might be that you only get them after a few months service or something like that, but you've normally got a contractual element to a car allowance. And because it's paid every month uh, and it's part of your contract, lenders will often take 100% of this figure as well. So if you've got a basic and a car allowance and you're doing your rough fag packet figures and you're playing with some calculators online, which of course we've said be careful with because sometimes they only um, produce five times the figure you put in. But if you are doing those calculations, then it's a fairly reasonable um, bet to say use 100% of your car allowance for that affordability uh, calculation. Now, there may well be some lenders out there that might take a, a certain percentage of a car allowance. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I've got to be very careful because that's not to say with all the lenders out there, somebody somewhere might only say we only take 75% of it and uh, I'll be proved wrong. But for the most part, 100%. When it comes down to jobs that have things like bonus, commission, or if you're doing overtime, this is where things get a little bit more tricky. The reason being is that whereas um, a basic salary and a car allowance are contractual, Uh, for the most part, and they can be received every month, lenders are happy to take 100% of that because they're going to advance you you a loan over um, 20, 25, 30 years, whatever it's going to be. Well, they want to know that the income that you're receiving is going to be sustainable. What they don't want is it to be, uh, to give you a loan over 20 or 25 years, and then uh, three months later, you don't get any car allowance and and that's it, and, and, and you can't afford to pay the mortgage. So it's all about longevity and proof. With things like bonus commission overtime, a lot of these things are are dependent on other factors. So if it's a bonus or commission, it's going to be dependent on your skill set in what you do. But it might also have a a condition on the market. So if you're working in sales and and the market in which you work isn't performing pretty uh, very well, then that might cause your bonus or commission to fall. So how do they deal with this? Because it's not fair to completely say we can't use it. Well, what they do is they don't often take 100% of it. I'm going to come back to that, but let's for the most they don't often take 100% of your bonus or commission. What the lenders will do is they might say, well, we're going to take 60% of your bonus or commission. Okay. And on that, we're going to, uh, we're going to work it out either by looking at your current basic salary, and your last year's P60, because that'll show them the total income that you made that, that year. Or we're going to look at uh, your last three to six months worth of payslips. And by looking at the last three to six months of payslips, they can get a general feel for the trend, for the amount of bonus or commission that you're earning each month. And then they get that figure, and then they take 60% of that figure um, to put into their affordability calculator. So if you're earning £10,000 a year in bonus or commission, then some lenders might only take 6000 of that before they start doing their affordability calculations. And that protects the lender a little bit because uh, it allows them to sort of smooth over the times when you may not receive any bonus commission because the market is bad or um, something has happened. I don't know, something is out of your control. Uh, because you're clearly going to be awesome salespeople, which is why you have that job in the first place. So that's kind of the rationale behind it. It's the same with overtime as well. Um, Overtime, again, it's not contractual. 
It's only when employers get particularly busy or there's a particular demand for your uh, services and your skill set that the overtime becomes available. And the frustrating thing is there are industries where overtime is pretty much always there. Um, you know, I can think some of, some of the medical people that uh, we've dealt with, the clients here, they're, they're constantly nursing. They're always, you know, being able to do overtime. It's, it's there for them to do. And that can be a bit frustrating when you're going to apply for a mortgage because you know full well that this overtime is sustainable because the line of work you're in is you're always going to be needed. But lenders have to lend responsibly, and that is where they put this cap in to make sure that they don't leave themselves open uh, from the regulator um, and end up having to take possession of houses because they didn't underwrite properly in the first instance. So that's a bit of a pain. Now, whilst I've used the um, example of 60% of bonus commission overtime being used by some lenders, that's just a general rule. Some lenders might only use 50%, some might use 80%. So don't get fixated on the 60%. It's just, uh, that's about where you would normally hit it for the ones that don't take it 100%. And I would say most of the market uh, take a percentage of variable income. I can never say that word, variable. Variable income, bonus commission over time, allowances, all that kind of stuff. Don't confuse this with things like expenses, okay? Expenses are generally never taken... Um, into consideration for affordability because they're just reimbursing you rather than providing you with, with, any, with any extra money. It's a very strange uh, difference, but when you think about it, because you think, well, expenses and car allowance and all that, but it is, um, those are just expenses incurred as part of your job that your employer is refunding to you. So therefore, uh, they're not taken for affordability. Now, although we've talked about lenders that don't take 100% of that, of that income, of that variable income, there are some that do. Um, not many. But some, and the way they do it varies. But what they'll generally do is the lenders that will take 100% will want to see the last three to six months pay slips, okay? Or something, or something similar. And they'll look at the um, general income received in bonus commissioner over time over that period. They'll add it together and they'll divide by the number of months they've looked at. So if a lender's looking um, at the last three months, they'll add your bonus commission overtime figures up over the last three months. They'll then divide that figure by three, multiply it by 12 to give them a, a picture of what they think the annual figure is going to be. So you can imagine that um, that's going to be better in some instances when you're looking to get a mortgage because you're going to get 100% of an income taken rather than just 60%. And it's knowing how a lender underwrites and what figures they're going to use and importantly, uh, how they're going to use that figure. You know, are they going to take a percentage that enables you to get the loan size that you want? Um, there are all sorts of income streams out there. Uh, we can't go into all of them now, um, but you've got things like stipend for people that are, um, that are studying. Uh, you've got shift allowance. Um, you've got unsociable hours. You've got all these things. They say using the medical, you know, the, the NHS example, as we touched on before, uh, there, there's lots of different bits that come in for banding pay and all these different things. So if you have... Um, pay slips that, that, that have different elements of income in it, what I would say to you is that don't, A, don't assume that everything's going to be taken at 100%, because if you do those calculations, you're going to come up with some whopping great figures and think, hooray, you're going to buy the mansion. Um, but also, don't get too down and think, oh, well, that bit's not going to be taken into account, because you will find that there is somewhere, there, there is someone that will help and will, will, will get that clarity for you. So speak to someone um, that knows the market, that knows what they're doing, and that can input the right figures into the right boxes. Because at this stage, that's what it's all about to get you that, uh, that clarity in your position. So if we leave 
employed variable income behind for one moment. There's another important piece of affordability uh, criteria that applies to many people that we need to touch on. And that is what if you own a buy-to-let property as well as your main residence? So let's assume you're looking to move house or remortgage your main home, but you've also got this buy-to-let property in the background. What on earth happens with that with affordability? Are they looking at uh, you being able to make both payments? Do they take the rental income into account? What happens? Right, well, for the most part, what a lender would want is they want for the buy-to-let to wash its own face, as we say, okay? So they want to know that the mortgage um, payment is paid by the rental income received with a bit of surplus. Now, your residential lender is generally going to be happy um, to ignore your buy-to-let debt as long as that buy-to-let is self-funding. It washes its own face, okay? That's, that's it. If, if, if that happens, then what they'll do is they say, okay, we're not going to take your buy-to-let mortgage debt into account. We're not going to take your buy-to-let mortgage payment into account. But we're also not going to take your rental income into account as well, okay? We're just going to assume the two cancel each other out. Now, there are uh, lenders, and this is where it's a bit more complicated, and the lender wants to make sure that it, 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 the, the rent covers the mortgage by a certain amount and all sort of stuff. But don't worry about that too much. The general, as long as it's self-sufficient and self-supporting, it can be ignored. A bit of a pain, though, if you want to use the rental income for your mortgage affordability, because you want to give yourself an extra top-up, because you, you're probably making profit on it. Now, here, we're going to be looking at one key thing. It's not going to be the, the gross income here, um, as you would get on uh, your pay slip, as we talked about before. But if you want to use that rental income, the lenders that are going to allow you to do it are going to want to see what you've declared on your tax return for that rental property. Because they know there's cost to being a landlord. They know that you've got to change the carpets and get the boiler serviced and make sure everything's up together and that you're not going to be paying tax on, on those pieces. And as we've said in, in previous shows, it's all about taxable income, the income that can be taxed in the UK. So if you are needing to use your um, property income to help top up your main income, two things to be aware of. You need to find a lender that's going to be happy with that and someone that can get comfortable with it. And also, bear in mind, they'll be looking at the net profit figure, the figure that is on your tax return next to income received from or profit received from property. Okay, so a bit of a change, a bit backwards. When we get into the self-employed realm, we'll touch on why they use net profit rather than gross profit as they do on the employed thing. So something to be aware of. So that is affordability part two covered off very briefly. Uh, again, quite a dry subject, isn't it? It's not, um, it's not the most exciting, sexy end of mortgages. I don't know what the sexy end of a mortgage is. I'm sure there must be one. You can let me know. Um, but hopefully it gives a bit of idea around variable income and buy-to-let, background buy-to-lets and buy-to-let income, and just a little bit of what they're about. Like I say, we could go into this to the nth degree. These are really broad subjects, but these are just uh, designed to give you some uh, information, bite-sized information, if you like, just to give you a bit more knowledge on it. So... I hope that's been useful. Hope it's not been too echoey in the new office and uh, the sound of the traffic hasn't come through too much. Um, like I say, any questions or queries, get me at hello at hudson-rose.co.uk. Uh, give me a call 0330-122-9920 or hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash hudrose. But I really hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I hope it's been useful. And if there's anything else you'd like to, to cover off in future episodes, let me know. But other than that, take care and I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you